The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Roto World Football Podcast. I am your host, Raymond Summerlin, and I am joined today, as I am every single Thursday, by Nick Minzio to talk about the best starts and most notable sits for week 11 of the fantasy football season. I will also be joined, just like every Thursday, by Rich Rebar later on in the show to discuss some of the most interesting data points from his weekly worksheet column. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Before we get to the action, however, I do want to mention how you can help out the podcast, how you can help out the show. The best way is to rate and review wherever you find it, whether that be on iTunes, Stitcher, or some other service, rating and reviewing helps us in the rankings. It helps other people find the show, and uh, we very much appreciate it. If you've already done it, thank you very much. If you haven't, please take a few minutes to go ahead and and rate and review, and uh, we would very much appreciate it. All right, with that out of the way, let's get to Nick. What's going on, man? What's up, Ray? Week 11, it's coming coming down to the home stretch here. Yeah, I'm I'm feeling good. I I got some teams in playoff position i have uh some serious bye week concerns i'm heavily invested in some broncos and chargers so that's that's upsetting but but you know it's 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 a good time of year i'm not looking forward to that week 13 those bye weeks week 13 that that feels like it's going to cause some trouble but yeah. i guess we'll i guess we'll burn that bridge whenever we get to it but you know we start every week with news and just before we started recording this podcast we record on wednesdays i think i think Anybody's listened to the podcast knows that just before we recorded this podcast or hopped on to record the podcast, some breaking news, some big news popped out. And that is that the Packers have claimed fantasy football's favorite son, Kristen Michael off waivers. He was, he was waived yesterday by the Seahawks. And I think what you would categorize as a surprising move. Now the Packers who have the thinnest backfield in the league, claiming him off waivers. Like I said, this happened just before we recorded. So these are all very, very kind of initial thoughts. But but what are you feeling right now about, about Kristen Michael's value moving forward just right after we hear the news? It just doesn't move the needle too much for me. I know C-Mike has a ton of talent, but he's proven in the past to be a super slow learner. Uh, the Packers haven't shown much patience, much patience with these types of guys like Niall Davis a couple weeks back. Uh, C-Mike's kind of like Niall Davis and that that he has a lot of talent, but just kind of didn't materialize for him too much in Kansas City and it didn't work out in Green Bay, clearly. So I I don't know. I'm just not really 
feel and see Mike too much, especially this late in the year when he's going to have to learn a new playbook. He just, I just don't think he's going to help help us very much in fantasy. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of there with you. I mean, it, it seems very it's it's very doubtful he takes on immediate work. And I would like to say James Starks looked better last week, a lot better than what he did before the injury. It really seemed to me watching him that that knee injury was a problem even before we heard about it, before we kind of heard that he was struggling and, and needed surgery. It seemed like that was a problem. And Michael, like you said, Michael hasn't shown a great ability in the past when he's moved teams to, to really learn to learn a new system. He hasn't really shown a great ability to learn old systems, which is probably one of the reasons he's, he's out and he was out in Seattle. So I think the landing spot gives him, gives him an opportunity that it's such a thin backfield that in deeper leagues, if you have the extra roster spot, you're looking for an upside stash. I think that he's still that, but I agree with you that, that you're not going to see the benefits of holding Tristan Michael for a couple weeks. If we see them at all, do you, do you think that's a fair assessment? Yeah, I totally agree with you there. Totally. I mean, he's getting a better, he's getting a better offensive line at least. I mean, Seattle's offensive line is probably bottom three in the league. So the Packers isn't like amazing or anything, but it's middle of the pack. So, I mean, if I had a spot open, I'd, and I was super desperate for running back help, like a lot of people out there are, I mean, I'd I'd take a flyer on Michael, but I'm not like holding out hope that he's going to help me too much. And even you say that, I mean, TJ Lang left last week, I think with an ankle injury, Bakhtiari suffered a knee injury. I mean, that whole yeah. thing is whole thing is falling apart. But in better news, Jordan Howard was able to practice in full on Wednesday after John Fox, who always tells the truth, said after Sunday's game that he suffered an ankle or Achilles injury. Howard famously said he ain't suffered nothing. And it turns out that he was correct and telling the truth. But still, he only had two carries in the second half after absolutely dominating the Bucks before the break. I mean, that's a good run defense. He looked great. He was finding plenty of holes, finishing runs with powers as he does. Should we be worried about him moving forward, looking as that as if he maybe didn't have a serious injury and yet he was completely out of the game plan after halftime? Yeah, I'm kind of feeling like Fox is just trying to make up some sort of excuse to get this back into a, a committee backfield. Uh I mean, he, he even tried to mask it again on Wednesday. He said he said Howard was dealing with some soreness and then later backtracked again and said, oh, he actually practiced in full. So he's trying to lie to us like he always does. But I mean, I'm just I'm just assuming he's trying to get a reason to, to give these other guys carries like Kadeem Carey and Jeremy Langford. Yeah, because when you can get those guys on the field, <laughs> you absolutely have to take that. I mean, I would say that Howard did limp off, I think, after his second carry. So Maybe there was something. I, obviously, if he's practicing in full Wednesday, it wasn't serious. And like you said, I don't, I do not trust John Fox to handle much of anything correctly, especially backfields. But this seems like it would be very difficult to screw up if Jordan Howard's playing as well as he was playing against the Bucks. It just doesn't make sense to do what they did with him unless there was an injury. So I agree with you. This is a very muddled situation. I am still treating Jordan Howard as a clear number one. But if this time next week we're talking about a committee because of John Fox history. I, I don't know that that would be very, very surprising. And and equally depressing news is the sentence that I just said. Uh, Rob Gronkowski looks like he's not going to play this week. He didn't practice on Wednesday because of his mysterious chest injury. He wasn't allowed to fly, I believe, on Monday night or, or to get to an event that he was supposed to be on Tuesday. He had to cancel, which suggests that he's probably not going to be able to play this week. All of this makes it seem like Martellus Bennett is going to get the start and if he gets the start, what are we talking about with Bennett here? Is he a top five option at tight end? 
Yeah, I maybe I maybe go that high, but he's a for sure play. You have to you have to use him at tight end tight end if you own him. I mean, this position is super shallow. We don't have a lot to go off of from earlier in the season when Gronkowski was out and Bennett was the starter because he was playing with guys like Jacoby Brissett and Jimmy Garoppolo. So can't really look too too deep into that. I mean, he was blocking a ton back then, but that's when the Patriots were super run heavy with LeGarrette Blunt. So I expect him to see six, seven, eight targets at least. I mean, this is just a great spot for Ben, and I mean, I'm, I'm excited to fire him up in DFS especially, too. And to your point, he and Gronk together, since Brady has come back, are averaging 12 targets a game. I, I very much doubt he, he gets that many, but yeah, he should, he, should be, he should be in for a big game, I would say. And a final bit of news, which actually dovetails quite nicely with your starts and sits. Browns coach Hugh Jackson said on Wednesday he would like to get back to running the ball more with Isaiah Crowell who has 12 or fewer carries in every game since week five. He's only averaged nine and a half carries a game over that span. Cleveland obviously lost all of those games because they haven't won one yet. Most of them they lost in a route, but they're getting a vulnerable Pittsburgh run defense this week. So do you like him to turn it around and, and kind of how are you valuing him this week? Yeah, I love Crowell this week, actually. I don't, I mean, I don't really know why, like you said, his, his, he's not getting much volume whatsoever over the past since September, basically since the first four games of the year. But uh, Hugh Jackson definitely admitted he, he needs to get the ball to Crowell more. So squeaky wheel, like we always talk about, I think Crowell is going to get fed this week. He's a home. He's at home, which I love for running backs. He, I mean, Jackson has shown in the shown earlier this season that he's not scared to give the ball to Crowell, even if the Browns are losing. So I expect a 15 carry floor this week. Uh, Pittsburgh is allowed is 31st in fantasy points allowed to running backs have allowed 10 touchdowns on the ground to running back. So, and, and Crowell has, has shown that he can catch the ball with like over 90s, over 90 pass, over 90 receiving yards the past two weeks. So I think he's got a great floor this week. And, and the Steelers just lost Cam Hayward for the season. So that's just an, a bigger boost to his stock. Yeah, I think that that's important. It's also important to note that the, the Pittsburgh offense is not the same on the road. So maybe they can keep this game a little closer than, than you think. So uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of things playing in in his favor. I think it's a it's a low key, pretty good spot for him, and I that makes him especially for me. I, I don't have him in many leagues. That makes him a a very interesting GPP play. I think in, in DFS. I I haven't looked at his price really yet to to get into it, but I imagine he his price has been falling lately. And if if he's able to get like you said, 15, 17 carries and a good matchup, that could that could give him some pretty good tournament value too. Yeah, at 6200 on Fandle, his price has come down a little bit. It's still a little bit high, but I mean, I'm, I'd consider him even in cash if I want to play, pay up for Brady, Antonio Brown. Both those guys are in great spots. Le'Veon Bell, a ton of studs to pay up for this week. You also like Tyreek Hill this week, who looks likely to get another start. Jeremy Macklin sitting on Wednesday. He kind of had a Tavon Austin game last week. It's kind of how I how I viewed his game, but you know, it still worked out wonderfully in PPR and had a nice, had a nice game as well in standard. Do you like his chances of being that kind of high volume workhorse again this week? Yeah, they definitely manufactured touches to him last week against the Panthers. He he had a a slow first half, but they really got the ball in his hands in the second half. He was pretty much their source of offense, especially with the Panthers shutting down Spencer Ware in the run game. So, I mean, I love, I love Tyreek Hill this week. I mean, the, the Bucks have allowed the, most fantasy points to receivers and 13 touchdowns combined to receivers. That's third worst in the league. So I love this spot for Hill and a, and a game with an actually decent high over under as well. And they obviously want to get in the ball, which you got to love 
and that gives him a pretty good floor if Macklin's out. And he didn't do it last week, but he certainly has big play upside. Um, even with all those targets, last week I, was not his biggest fantasy week of the year. He, he had a he had a better game with Nick Foles at, at the Colts. So I think that there's some upside here, and then obviously that floor is there. I, I like that call quite a bit. A guy that I have been in love with ever since he ever since I first saw his college tape, but has been kind of on the wrong track lately is Terrence West, who did have his best game in several weeks against the Browns, but it was just 65 yards on 21 carries against one of the worst defenses in the league. Now they get the Dallas Cowboys this week. Is there any hope for West or this running game moving forward? Uh, I mean, I just do not like to play guys against the Cowboys. I know the volume was there last week. That was great to see. 21 carries is awesome for Terrence West, but this offensive line is banged up. I know Marshall Yonda came back to a full practice on Wednesday, so that's an, that's a, that'll be a big boost to that offensive line, but they lost Alex Lewis, their other guard, for probably the season, and Dallas just plays at such a slow pace, and they control the ball on offense. The, the opposing offense doesn't get a, a ton of looks, so I'm just I just do not like playing guys against this Cowboys team. Yeah, and to your point, I mean, the Cowboys have faced the fewest rushing attempts this season, and it's not even close. The next closest team, oddly enough, is the Ravens, and the Ravens have faced about two and a half more rushing attempts per game than the Cowboys. So it's it is not close at all. They just don't face them. And the Ravens haven't really stuck with the run. They did against the Browns, but they haven't really before. They're in the bottom third of rushing attempts. I agree with you. I, I see a situation here where the Ravens could could kind of get behind or, or, or stupidly just sit with the passing game, throw for 45 times, as they have so many times this year, and and not and not, you know, and then Terrence West doesn't get his. So I, I agree with that completely. And then finally, we talk about Jarvis Landry, who was once a, a lock for double-digit targets. I believe he had double-digit targets in eight straight games, stretching back to stretching back to the year before. Now he's gone five games in a row without topping 10 targets. He has just six apiece in the last two games. He's facing the Rams. Should he even be in starting lineups in standard formats? Man, I mean, not a lot of teams on by this week. Uh you should have plenty of options to consider for your lineups. I just, if I own like Jarvis Landry and I don't have to use him, then I'm not going to. I know, like like you said, six target six targets each in the past three games. Never has scored touchdowns either. So he was only a guy that we banked on for volume, and he's not even getting that now. And the and the Rams and have played three home games in Los Angeles, and they have allowed ten points in one, three points in another, and thirty in the other against the Bills. But that was on the on the back of LaShawn McCoy. So I, I, if I'm, if I like any Dolphins players in this game, it's Jay Ajayi and Landry's going to have to go up against LaMarcus Joyner. who's like a feisty slot corner safety type who, who plays like super aggressive. So I, I just do not like this spot for Landry whatsoever. Yeah, I don't either. And I think we've reached a point where the standard dream on for Landry is dead. They're using Jay Ajayi to control the Glock and control the game. And that kind of takes away what Landry used to do. And when they throw, which they don't do very often, I think Tannehill's averaging around 25 attempts a game for the last like six. It's, it's a crazy low number. Even last week, he had, I believe, 24. Whenever they do throw, they're taking deep shots off of play action, which, which Tannehill's actually done well. And he had Kenny Stills on a long touchdown. He had Devontae Parker for a long, important gain. So I just, uh, I don't see it anymore for Landry in standard leagues. And and even in PPR leagues, if he's getting seven, eight targets, it's it's just not there. It's been a it's been a very, very quick fall for Jarvis Landry, and and uh, I think it's going to continue this week for sure. Hundred percent with you. All right, excellent stuff as always. Nick's column is a must read every week. It is up on 
rotoworld.com. As you are listening to this podcast, make sure you check it out. You can also find Nick on Twitter at Nick Minzio or every single Thursday on this very episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. Thanks so much for coming on, Nick, and we will talk to you next week. Yep, good luck this good luck this week. And we are back with Rich Rebar. You can find him on Twitter at Lord Reeves, and you can find his must-read weekly column, The Worksheet, every single Wednesday on rotoworld.com. And as always, you can find him on this very episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. Thanks for coming on, Rich. How's it going? It's going good. Here we are, week 11, one week away from Thanksgiving. We are we are dialed in for the stretch run of the fantasy regular season. And, you know, it's kind of a fun slate this week. There's a lot of, of good matchups this week, actually. You know, so, I mean, a lot of great quarterbacks are, are in great spots this week. I am much more excited about Thanksgiving than Nana's going to make me a, a pumpkin pie cake. I'm mm, going to watch some football. I don't care anything about fantasy football at that point. What exactly is a pumpkin pie cake? Can we can you break that down for me? It's exactly what you think it is. Interesting. It has pumpkin pie filling. Okay. But it also has like a it also has like cake in there so it's firmer and it's got like a cake top and you have like pecans and nuts of different kinds on top of it. It is it is spectacular. I would recommend it. This this episode of the Road World Football <laughs> Podcast brought to you by Pumpkin Pie Cake. I'd recommend it. But let's uh <laughs> let's talk about let's talk a little bit about um, some football i suppose and we'll get started with a matchup of terrible um while not quite not quite on brock osweiler's level blake bortles <laughs> has been among the most among the worst quarterbacks in the league this season but this week he gets a date with the worst pass defense in the league in the detroit lions which side do you think is going to come out on top? Yeah, if you're fishing for quarterbacks, it's a really rough week. It is not a great week for the the bottom half of quarterbacks running into good plays. And like I mentioned at the top, what makes it even worse if you need a waiver wire quarterback this week, say you've been riding a guy like Matt Ryan, is a number of great quarterbacks are in really good spots this week, like I kind of alluded to in the open. So, I mean, not only are you really going up against trying to find a wave, a guy amongst the waiver wires that – um really doesn't have a lot lot in the barrel there. Uh, you're probably going to be playing against someone that's got a great quarterback matchup as well. And, yeah, Blake Bortles has been bad. But for fantasy, he's kind of been the Blake Bortles of old here the past three weeks. I mean, he has three straight games of 17 or more fantasy points. Uh, he's been in the top half of QB scoring all three of those weeks. Of course, he's still going full Oscar the Grouch mode. As 46% of his fantasy points have come in the fourth quarter this season. This week he faces a Lions pass defense that has kind of been our gift to non-Oswillian passers. I mean, uh, uh, opposing passers have completed 74% of their passes against Detroit. That's the highest rate of any team through the opening nine games in NFL history. The Lions also allow 29 passing yards and two full fantasy points per opposing quarterbacks per possession. That's the most in the league. And to top that off, uh, 83% of the touchdowns scored against the Lions this year have been through the air. That's the highest rate in the league. So in a week void of uh, waiver wire options, I think Bortles is one of the few guys that actually has a ceiling uh, this week. To kind of, first of all, or or, or <laughs> what did you say? Oswalian. That's fantastic. Also... <laughs> Um, and the problem with Bortles is he's still owned in quite a few leagues. There's this this year. There's this weird. There's this weird kind of uh, bifurcation. There you go Ooh. of the quarterback position in which 
in which there are there are like the Blake Bortles of the world, the Andy Daltons, and then there you go all the way down to like the Colin Kaepernick's, and there's nobody in between. And so it's it's really tough out there. I agree with you. If Bortles is out there, I think he's a, I think he's absolutely a great option. Speaking of terrible defenses, you know that your defense is terrible if David Johnson getting 101 total yards and two touchdowns is considered a good performance <laughs> by, by you. And that's exactly what we saw from the 49ers who are awful against the run. LeGarrette Blunt has a touchdown in all but one game this season. This is a no-brainer, right? We're, we're starting LeGarrette Blunt this week. Yeah, even with the return of Brady, LeGarrette has remained hot for fantasy. He's scored in every one of the games that Brady's been back. Like you said, just one game all year he hasn't. He has a touch on 50% of his, 57% of his snaps. It's the highest rate for all running backs in the league. Uh, add in Blunt's 12 rushing touchdowns now, or the most through nine games of a season since Maurice Jones drew in 2009. I mean, sure, he doesn't catch any passes, but it doesn't matter, especially this week. 75.5% of the fantasy points scored by running backs against the 49ers have come from rushing production. That's in PPR leagues. That's the highest rate in the league. And you talk tack on San Francisco, they allow 3.6 offensive touchdowns per game. That's the second most in the league. Opponents average 12.3 possessions per game against the 49ers. So we're giving the best offense in the NFL extra possessions this week. Um, to put a bow on everything, Blunt is tied with Ezekiel Elliott in the well, for fourth quarter rushing attempts in the season. He's the only clock grinder in this backfield they have. And to put a bow on the whole all-encompassing, you know, the Garrett week, uh, Blunt averages 18 PPR points per game when the Pats have been favored by 10 or more points and 15 PPR points per game when the Pats win by double-digit points over the past two seasons. So, I mean, it's a good week to fire up the Garrett if you got him. And, and I just want to... Not to throw any cold water because I agree that this is this is a must-play matchup. But I mentioned it last time with the Patriots against the Browns. It, it kind of worked out. It, it did hit the under. But games that feature a home underdog of 10 or more points, those games have gone under 15 of the last 17 times we've seen them. These games tend to be lower scoring. And actually, the underdog tends to tends to cover they they're covering it about 60 percent of the time since since 2010 so something to something to think about in this game if you're going gung-ho on the patriots in Mm -hmm. dfs if you're going all out on them maybe maybe this is a this is a good contrarian spot but i mean the carrot blunt scores touchdowns and the 49ers give up touchdowns sometimes (laughs) sometimes this game is very very easy Uh, but like blunt there's another guy in minnesota stefan diggs been on fire lately. He's caught at least eight passes in each of his last three games. He has 13 apiece in his last two. New offensive coordinator Pat Shermer has really made it a point to feed him around the line of scrimmage, especially in the middle of the field. It's worked spectacularly through two weeks. Do you think that's going to continue in a tough matchup against the Cardinals? Yeah, healthy Diggs has been a dynamo this season. Like you mentioned, that coordinator change has really brought new life to his production. Diggs is just the second Vikings receiver ever to have back-to-back games of 10 or more receptions, joining Chris Carter. And he's been able to get there by that increased usage from the slot, be able to get him more you know, actionable touches. You know, Per pro football focus, Diggs has run 77% of his routes from the slot over the past two weeks. That was after 51% through the first six games he played. Um, now, Arizona's allowed six or more receptions to a plethora of slot options. Jeremy Curley twice, Julian Edelman, Doug Baldwin, Adam Humphreys. But there is a not-so-fast-in-play, as Bruce Arians has kind of stated, the way he's going to slow down Diggs to throw Patrick Peterson on him and, and call it a day. Well, there's kind of a not-so-fast to that as well. 
Um, as per Pro Football Focus, Peterson has allowed a touchdown once every 6.1 targets in the slot for his career as opposed to once every 22.3 guarding guys in the boundaries. And although he's just played 8% of his career snaps in the slot, 29% of the touchdowns he's allowed in his career have come from slot coverage, uh, 8 of 28. Um, So while dropping, you know, a third game of 150 more yards on the season is probably not in the cards, uh, no no apologies there, uh, Diggs, you know, may not be as limited as people expect by the Patrick Peterson news. Yeah, and I mean, to just to the Diggs point, I mean, They've kind of got the passing game working the last couple of weeks. I don't see any way they change what they're doing now. I mean, if if this is what they figured out, it's kind of working. I assume that they're going to keep doing it, and that's obviously good news for him. Another guy got some good news this week, Zach Miller, who already has seen a large target share, at least as tight ends go this season. And now Alshon Jeffrey suspended the next four weeks. It stands to reason that his target share could get even larger with Alshon Jeffrey out of the picture. Do you like him more now moving forward and and especially this week i do admittedly miller is far from a a sexy play as three of his top 12 scoring weeks on the season came with brian hoyer as quarterback three of his four uh but jay cutler is still targeted miller 23.3 percent of the time this season which is a wide gap over anyone else on the chicago roster not named alshon jeffrey who has been suspended for air quotes performance enhancing substances (laughs) uh you know but cameron meredith has just four targets since cutler came back uh, Eddie Royal has just eight. Miller has 17 over the past two weeks. This week they face a Giants team who face the most targets per game to opposing tight ends. They allow the six most receptions per game to the position. They have only allowed one touchdown on the season, so I mean expecting a ceiling game is likely out of the question. And the Bears uh, have, have only scored 20 points in a game twice on the year. Uh, but Miller should be a good bet to have a safe floor this week based on volume alone, uh, no, matter the, no matter the scoring format. And the Giants have given up to your point. They've gone up 248 yards to tight ends in the last two games. 248, uh, including 55 to somebody named Trey Burton. Uh, <laughs> obviously, he was he was a big guy early. It's fine. This is a joke. We'll let it go. All right. So that is uh, that's it for this week. Thanks so much, Rich. You can remember you can follow him on Twitter at Lord Reeves. You can find his work at rotoworld.com. You can also find Nick Minzio's work at Rotoworld. Follow him on Twitter at Nick Minzio. While you're at it. I also tweet occasionally at RM Summerlin. Hit the subscribe button. I'd appreciate that. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast anywhere you find it. And uh, I guess that's it. We'll talk to you next week. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.